Hello, vampires and slayers. This is Mixtress Ray, and you're listening to What's This Bitch Talking About? A podcast where I watch and discuss every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer exactly 20 years after it's each episode's original air date. So tonight I am operating under, I am in recovery from a a weird head cold. Like it started out like day one was like, this isn't that bad at all. This is no big deal. To day two was like, I wanted to die in the second half of the day. And then day three, I wanted to die in the first half of the day. And today's day four. And I'm just sort of like mostly functional, but my voice keeps going in and out. So I'm not sure how great this podcast is going to be, but I am fully committed to doing this shit on the actual day. So the episode we're discussing tonight is Becoming Part 2, which is the last episode of Season 2 of Buffy. And this is the last time we have a Buffy episode until I think the next day is September 29th. So we have to wait almost a full four months until the next Buffy episode. So, even though I'm not at 100% right at this moment, it is technically still Saturday, May 19th, although it will be the 20th by the time I finish recording this episode, because it's now 11.40pm. But hopefully you enjoy the night sounds in the background. I'm sitting in my little office space, which is essentially a closet, um, but it's a closet big enough for my desk. So... Um, I'm sitting in my little closet space and my window's open and I'm ready to talk about this episode. So we'll see how it goes. I didn't do a lot of research for this episode because, um, because I have a bunch of Buffy books and I usually consult them for research. But in this particular episode, um, I decided not to do all the research. That's the one like thing that I skipped that I normally do. Although I did still consult my favorite episode guide, Bite Me by Nikki Stafford. So this is the, um, she has the most shockingly tiny episode. Like she talks about the episode in the, I mean, she writes like a page or two about each episode, but there's always like a one sentence summary of the episode at the beginning. And they're always like so short. So this is what she says. Becoming Part 2. Original air date, May 19th, 1998. Written and directed by Joss Whedon. Um, Guest cast, it lists um, Max Perlick for Whistler. James G. McDonald is Detective Stein. Susan Leslie is also a cop. Basically, just they're just listing the cops in this episode because there are actual cops in this episode, which is rare for Buffy. But here's the summation of the episode. As Angel tortures Giles and Willow reattempts the restoration spell, Buffy prepares to kill Angel. <laughs> that's that's the summary of this episode. This episode where everything is devastated for Buffy. I mean, like, not to jump the boom boom gun here, but in this episode, Buffy gets expelled from school. She gets kicked out of her house after she's inadvertently outed to her mother for being a slayer. She has to kill her boyfriend and she leaves town. 
So like, this is like a really, really big becoming moment for Buffy. Like she will never recover from the events that happen in this episode. Um, she'll never recover. This is a turning point for her in her life. So let's see, I kind of wanted to go over some of the things that Nikki Stafford says in her, in the best episode guide of Buffy ever. Um, let's see. Da, 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 da. The season finale leaves the viewer breathless, depleted, and begging for answers. I think that's probably, especially the depleted part. Um, both Buffy and Giles, I'm going to read what she wrote just to start out, just to sort of get my thoughts gathered here. So I hope that's okay. These are Nikki Stafford's words, not mine. Both Buffy and Giles show how strong-willed they are. The more that is taken from them, the more difficult it is to break them. As pointed out earlier, Giles survives the physical torture because Jenny has already been taken from him, which is the worst torture he's ever endured. Uh, Giles has had a pretty long life. He never even got to consummate his relationship with Jenny, so I'm sure he's had bigger loves than Jenny. But, okay, sure. Buffy becomes a fugitive, gets kicked out of the home. Yeah, so, like, that's part of it, too. Like, I didn't even mention that part. Like, she's wanted by the police. She gets expelled from school. Her mom kicks her out of the house. Um, and she has to kill her boyfriend after he gets re-insold. Um, okay. Buffy becomes a fugitive, gets kicked out of the home, has friends in the hospital, and is expelled from school, but steals herself against it all to fulfill her destiny, her duty. However, as Whistler tells her, she's got one more thing to lose, and even she couldn't have anticipated what that would be. The biggest turning point in the show is that Joyce discovers Buffy is the Slayer. Um, blah, blah, blah. Spike is wonderful here from his attempt to reason with Buffy to his explanation that Buffy plays the triangle to, in his rock band. <laughs> so this is sort of like, if you're thinking about themes of becoming, like we talked about in part one, everything that was set up in the last episode is really, really comes to fruition in this episode. Like Willow attempting the spell in the last episode, she insisted to continue and attempt it again in this episode, even though she was in the hospital and she had just woken up from a coma. I mean, they don't call it a coma, but she was knocked out and in an extended inert inertia, extended inertia. Like, I think that's probably a coma, um, trauma induced coma. Even after being in a coma, she insists upon reattempting the spell and she does it correctly and you get this moment where she's just she's just going through the motions just doing a spell like anybody like anybody would as if we all do spells all the time but you know what I mean and then she has a moment where she stops she looks up she looks back down and then she starts reciting Latin like fluently and you can tell that something went through her and she never recovers from that. I think even Xander making the decision not to tell Buffy that Willow was going to reattempt the spell. 
This is something that he can't ever come back for, from. This is a moment in his life that he can't ever take back. Um, and I've always been very mad at Xander for that decision. We'll talk more about that later. Of course, Angel getting re-ensouled is a turning point in his life. Um, I guess, I mean, I'm kind of reaching there because he only gets re-ensouled for like 30 seconds before he gets sent to hell. But that does mean that he has a soul with him when he goes to hell, which makes it even more torturous for him. But, you know, he does deserve it. Um, we'll get into that too. Um, and obviously all of this shit is just like every little thing that every other character is going through in this episode. Buffy's going through four times more, you know? So let's just get into, let's see. Let me see if there's anything else that Nikki Stafford says that I want to read. I feel like there was something. Okay, here we go. And what of the end of the episode? Do we blame Xander for not telling Buffy the truth? Either he was jealous of Angel or he knew that Buffy wouldn't fight as hard if she thought Angel's soul could be restored. Notice how Buffy held back during their last fight, waiting for the spell to kick in. Do we blame Willow for trying the spell in the first place? If Willow hadn't restored Angel's soul, Buffy would have annihilated him and closed the hellmouth without having her heart ripped out. How about Giles? He is the one, after all, who told Angel the secret to awake Akathla, without which Buffy wouldn't have had to kill Angel. But can we blame someone who was so overwhelmed by love he momentarily lost his senses? The truth is, everyone was looking out for Buffy, but their actions ended up causing Buffy the worst pain imaginable. So that is a really important point, and it's not really the way that I have ever thought about this episode before. So I want to take a second and think about that. That's a really good point. Like, Buffy is a different slayer. She's a more capable slayer, and she's a much longer-lived slayer like most slayers die much you know most slayers don't get to be slayers for very long you get the idea that you know most slayers are slayers for like five years or something but Buffy lives longer than all of them because she has connections she has help even in this episode when she had to take out Angel and save Giles you know she had the help of Spike and she had the help of Ain't of Xander and also the help of Willow who was doing the spell. And Willow had the help of Cordelia and Oz to make the spell happen. Like everybody relies on each other all the time in this show. And that's why Buffy is a unique slayer because she's not the one girl in all the world. She's the one girl with a lot of help. But that's a very interesting thing to think that, you know, I've always blamed Xander. I've always blamed Xander for not telling Buffy that Willow was going to attempt the spell because I feel like she could have more effectively stalled him. But maybe Nikki Stafford is right. Maybe if she had known that Willow was going to reattempt the spell, she wouldn't have fought as hard and she would have maybe hurt attempting to stall Angel would have led to him actually killing her. Maybe. Um, I can't, I feel like I cannot blame Giles because here's what happened. 
what had happened was Giles was being tortured by Angel throughout this episode. And they were getting nowhere. He was extremely defiant. He wasn't telling Angel anything because Angel was torturing Giles because he just figured that Giles knew how to do the ritual based on nothing, but whatever. Don't look too far into any plot details of Buffy the Vampire Slayer because you're gonna be disappointed, um, as I've said before and will say again. <clears throat> but the only reason why Giles um, gave away the details of the spell was because of Drusilla. She looked into Giles's mind and she saw his pain at losing Jenny and she became Jenny because she has a power that no other vampire has. And those motherfuckers, as I've said before, and may not even get to say again, actually, because this is like one of the very last episodes we'll ever get to see Drusilla. If you are able right now, whether you drink or don't drink, make yourself a beverage right now, right now, alcoholic or not, whatever your preference of beverage is, make it right now and pour one out, pour one out for Drusilla because this is it. You guys, we get to see her again in flashbacks, maybe one to three more times throughout the rest of the series and in one episode in season six five or six I think we get to see her but otherwise it's just flashbacks and that's the only time we get to see her really sad about that really sad about the loss of Drusilla um because she seriously like they were torturing Giles throughout the whole episode and nothing was happening until Spike suggested to Drusilla, you know, maybe there's another way because he was, he had allied himself with Buffy at this point and he just suggested there might be another way. And that's when Drusilla uses her incredible powers to look inside his mind and to hypnotize him into thinking that she was Jenny. And Giles told the details of the spell to Jenny, which was a very, it was very ingenious the way that they did that even because it was like, um, she didn't like just outright like say, Giles, how does he do the spell? <laughs> you know, like it wasn't obvious, like the way that everything was worded and the fact that he was very weak from being tortured for how many countless hours, it totally seemed believable to me that Giles would give up the information in the way that it was conveyed. Um, it really, it really seemed totally plausible to me. So I place zero blame on Giles. I place a lot of blame on Xander. Although just taking a second, taking a step back, I do understand to a certain extent why he maybe didn't want to tell her. Like, especially as Nikki Stafford suggests in her Bite Me episode guide. Maybe he didn't tell her because he didn't want her to hold back and he didn't want her to get killed. 
And, you know, I mean, it is selfishly motivated on Xander's part. You can't argue against that. It's selfishly motivated, not just because he has a crush on Buffy. Like, like let's just put that completely aside. Just the fact that he knows that she will always be distracted by her love of Angel. Always. Like, she is just intensely attracted to him and he's not good for her on any plane of existence like he's not thinking of it from like a logical standpoint really it's all jealousy and stupid boy shit but he's right he's just an asshole so there's that <laughs> okay let's get into my actual notes here now that we've gone on several tangents already. So the episode opens with um, right where it left off in Becoming Part 1. The cops have just like told Buffy to freeze because she's standing over Kendra's body. And they think that she committed the violence. Like Xander is knocked out on the other side of the room. I would assume that Willow is somewhere. I don't I didn't, we didn't see Willow. I don't know. Um, and they're just like, they're trying to detain Buffy because they think she has something to do with it. Snyder is there for some reason. Like he's never there in the middle of the night, but in this episode he is. He's just lurking around like the whole episode. Um, and he sees the cops and he says, that's Buffy Summers. If there's trouble, she's behind it. And that's when Snyder says what I've decided is the quote of the episode, which is just three words. But he says, attitude problem, serious. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt or something. <laughs> I want a Buffy t-shirt that says, attitude problem, serious. <laughs> which is true. Buffy is very serious about what she does. Sorry, I'm trying to like not tax my voice, but I might lose it by the end of this. Okay. <clears throat> so the next scene after that is in the hospital. Um, Buffy has obviously gone home to change into an all black outfit or black trench coat and a beanie. Um, she now is wearing the cross necklace that Angel gave her. So this is the first time we've seen her wear the cross necklace that Angel gave her since. Um, I don't think she put it back on in the last episode. Did she? Now I'm not totally sure, but I don't think she puts it on until now. And she's wearing like a black beanie. She's like trying to, you know, be low profile and you know oh I, I mean I guess I should say like she gets away from the cops by basically they were about to put her in handcuffs and she's you, you see on her face that she's sort of thinking okay obviously I know that I can't save the world if I am in jail what do I do here do I defy authority and she decides yes so she sort of knocks out the cop and she runs out of the school. So the cops are after her. Um, so she meets, she goes to the hospital to see if everybody's okay. 
and Xander sees her in the hallway and he does some exposition. He lets her know what's going on. He has a broken wrist or something. His arm is in a cast and um, he, they don't know where Giles is. They don't know where Cordy is. And then he takes her in to see Willow, who is, I mean, they don't say the word coma, but she's basically, she's knocked out. And um, Xander says pretty much, you know, she could wake up at any time, but the longer she's out, the worse it is. Um, and interestingly, he's not mad at her this time. This is not the first time that he has sort of warned her about falling for Angel's traps before she falls for one of Angel's traps and then something bad happens to people he loves. Like he threatened to kill her last time that happened, but he doesn't do that this time. Sorry, that's my <laughs> daily reminder um, at midnight. So it is officially the 20th of May, but you guys will forgive me for that, right? Okay. Um, oh, and then Cordy comes in while they're talking about, you know, they're in the room with Willow, Willow's out and Cordy comes in and it's really sweet because like, as was pointed out in Buffering the Vampire Slayer, which is a really great Buffy podcast. Um, don't stop listening to mine, but add theirs into, I like to think of them as a sister podcast, even though they'll never know I exist. <laughs> um, but they pointed out that it was really cool that like Cordelia is definitely a part of the group now and she thinks of herself as a part of the group and she feels guilty for running away because when all this shit happened she just ran and basically in this scene she has caught back up with them at the hospital and she says I'm sorry I think I got through three counties before I realized no one was chasing me not too brave and it's just really sweet almost that like she feels bad. She wants to be more heroic, but she's just not yet. So I think that's kind of, kind of a cool moment for Cordelia. Um, she's still running, but she wants to be brave. Um, so just a little moment for Cordelia. Take it all in. Okay. Um, then after the hospital scene, this is when they realize that nobody knows where Giles is. And then the next scene, um, it cuts to Giles being tortured by Angel, which is kind of interesting because I remember this as being very triggering. Like, oh shit, we're going to see Angel torture Giles. And there are several scenes with him being very menacing towards Giles and Giles, Anthony Stewart head, his acting is so brilliant that you get that he is in pain and it's getting worse with each scene but you don't actually ever see Angel do anything to Giles nothing you don't actually see any torture at all but the acting is so good between David Boreanaz and Anthony Stewart Head that you know you feel the impact of it but you don't actually have to see the torture which is nice so Giles is being tortured. Um, then the next scene is there are cops at the house questioning Joyce. She is 
clueless. This is like the first time we've even fucking seen Joyce in who knows how long. Um, Buffy goes to Giles's apartment just to see, like they don't know where he is, just to see if he's home. He's not there, but Whistler is in his apartment, which this whole Whistler thing is so ridiculous. And I like that Buffy is just completely annoyed by him. Like he's saying all this cryptic shit and she just basically like pushes him up against the wall and says, look, if you have useful information, I'm grateful for it. But if not, I'm going to rip out your rib cage and wear it as a hat. <laughs> so I really like that moment that like she's not having this shit. He continues to say cryptic shit and she basically just guesses exactly who he is and it's awesome she's like what are you some immortal demon set to balance the scales between good and evil and he's like wow good guess he tells her fucking nothing he tells her like i don't know like the sword isn't gonna be enough because that sword that kendra gave buffy in the last episode is the it's like a sword that somebody had fought Akathla with before or some shit. So she's carrying that sword with her just throughout this entire episode. Like, the sword isn't going to be enough. Whatever. Anyway, he tells her nothing. He's useless. I really don't like Whistler. I just, like, I get kind of what they were trying to do with this character, but I just don't, it just didn't work for me. It probably works for someone. It just doesn't work for me. So she leaves, um, still trying to find Giles. She's, I think, headed back to her house at this point. And that's when um, a cop sees her. And Giles, or Spike intervenes. And he's like, hello, cutie. And this is a pretty important scene because basically Spike is there to suggest an alliance. He's like, look. Neither one of us can fight them alone. I want to stop Angel. I'm sick of him, like, fucking up my shit with Drusilla. And I don't want to end the world. Like, vampire... I love this whole speech where he's like, vampires like to talk big. We like to say that we want to ruin the world. But I like this world. Like, I don't want to end it. Um, so, yeah, I want to stop Angel. So, let's work together. And Buffy punches him a bunch and she's like, I hate you. And he says, well, I'm all you've got. And so she agrees reluctantly to her, to an alliance with Spike. And this is a really important moment because obviously, um, like I like to remind you guys, this is not a spoiler free podcast. So obviously any of y'all that have seen Buffy, you already know that Spike is a big part of the series. Like, we're not going to see him again. I mean, surely we see him at some point in season three. But we don't see him again consistently until season four. And then we get to see him almost every episode throughout the rest of the series. He's a big part of the series. And his um, chemistry with Buffy, in one way or another, is significant to the direction that the series goes. Like, at this point, 
I think they knew that they wanted to do more with Spike and that's why they threw this in there. So this is the first time we get to see them working together in any capacity and you get to see that, you know, Spike is funny. He can be funny. He is something without Drusilla and he's something without Angel. We haven't really seen him too much. We haven't seen his interplay with Buffy one-on-one really since his first episode, which was School Hard, where, you know, he was just trying to bag another Slayer. So he realizes at this point he could never take her. So might as well ally himself with her so they can get something done. So his whole plan is like, hey, like, I will make sure that so basically their agreement is that he will make sure that Angel doesn't kill Giles long enough to get Drusilla out and yeah and Buffy will not kill Drusilla as long as he makes sure that Angel doesn't or that nobody kills Giles um anyway I do think it's a little, I mean, I understand there's a lot going on, but the fact that she invited Angel into, invited Spike into her house is pretty negligent on Buffy's part. That's not something that she would normally do. Um, but you know, I get it. There was a lot going on. So anyway, Spike and Buffy go back to Buffy's house. I don't know what the point of going back to her house was, except they were trying to get away from cops, I guess. I don't know, whatever. And at this point, as they're walking up to the house, Joyce gets home. I keep saying the wrong, I'm like my grandma right now. Kara, Diana, Stephanie. Um, So (laughs) Joyce gets home, pulls up as they're walking up to the house. And she's like, who is this man? (laughs) And Buffy tries to play it off like, oh, we're in a band together. She plays drums and Spike sings like they're making it up because Spike at first was like, what? You don't know? Because Joyce had just talked to the cops and why she then, I guess she was looking for Buffy. That's what it was. At first I like thought that she had groceries in her hands, but I'm thinking of a different scene um, in a different episode. Sorry, it's really hard for me to talk right now. Um, so she gets back and, you know, they're trying to cover. And Spike just immediately falls into that. He's like, sure, we're in a band together, whatever. And he plays along. Um, but then a vampire shows up and Buffy essentially has to slay a vampire right in front of her mother. And Spike helps. <laughs> This is the first time Spike and Buffy fight together. And it's the very first time Joyce sees her daughter fight a vampire. And it's with Spike there. How cute is that? So um, after that happens, of course, Joyce is very confused. Like, what the fuck is going on? Like, seriously. So Buffy levels with her. She's essentially outed at this point. And this is where we get a really big metaphor for coming out. I, in the past, 
had sort of, I viewed this as like kind of a cheap coming out metaphor, but, um, the women that are on buffering the vampire slayer, the, um, other Buffy podcast, the one that I listened to as part of my research, they are, um, the two main hosts are two women that are married to each other. And they also interview a lot of other, um, it's a mostly lesbian community that is involved in the making of that podcast. They are so cool. Anyway, um, they found it to be very powerful and they talked about that scene a lot and with a lot of emotion because basically what happens is Buffy is essentially outed. She tries to cover it and then a vampire shows up and then she slays it right in front of her mom and then she says, look, mom, I'm a vampire hunter or vampire slayer. Sorry. I'm a vampire slayer. And Joyce is like, huh? And then they go inside. Buffy calls the hospital. She finds out the Willow has woken up, um, which is a cute scene. I should probably talk about that for a second. So let's see. So after we get the whole Spike Alliance, they've decided to go back to her house. Um, that's when we go back to the hospital. And Xander has this little moment where he's sitting next to Willow and he's sort of talking to her and saying, look, you have to wake up. You don't have a choice. Um, you're my best friend. I love you. And it's just a sweet little moment. It's just the two of them in the room. And of course, Willow doesn't hear any of it because she's asleep. But it's just a really touching moment. And um, I really don't think that Xander was expressing romantic feelings at all for Willow. I think he was just really realizing for the first time the extent to which he loves her. He cares about her. She is indispensable to him. And he's realizing that because she might not wake up. I think that's a very human thing. And him telling her that he loves her is, is really sweet. And this is when we get both a very sweet moment, but also I don't really get it. So now that I'm watching this, this is the first time I've watched this season in the actual pacing that it was first dispensed to the public. You know, like if there wasn't an episode for a month, I don't get to watch an episode for a month the way that I'm doing this project. So this is the first time I've had to watch it in real time like this. And it really has been, I think, I mean, we got to see Oz in the last episode, but before that we hadn't seen him in months, literally. So this next thing, okay, so Willow wakes up right after Xander says that he loves her. She wakes up. And the first thing that comes out of her mouth before she's even opened her eyes all the way is Oz? Oz. And I know that what we're supposed to get from that moment is that Willow has moved on from Xander. But I just don't think with as little as we've seen Oz, like I would assume that like, you know, they're dating Oz and Willow are dating and they're cute and all that, but like, he's not around a whole bunch I wouldn't think that it would be that he would be her first thought 
not that I would think that Xander would be her thought, first thought either. Not at all. I just think she would wake up and she would be confused and be looking around. I don't think she would be saying his name. But anyway, so she wakes up. She's like, Oz. And Oz just happens to be just getting there at that moment. And he, this is where the moment is cute. He just says, I'm here. Isn't that the best? Isn't that the best when you're calling out for someone and they say, I'm here. <laughs> it's just so reassuring. Um, I remember when I used to work with, I used to work with my family shortly after high school um, at a family business. And I remember my mom telling me once that like, that was one of her favorite things when she was uh, my grandpa was the owner of the business and he was the boss. And when my mom would call out to him, he would just be in the next room, but she couldn't see. It was like open, but she couldn't really see if he was at his desk or not. His desk was just opposite hers, but in another room. And she would call out Jim, you know, or whatever. I don't think she called him dad at work. She would call him Jim and he would say, I'm here. And I remember her telling me one time how, like, reassuring it was that he would say it like that. And I've always thought about that. But, um, so she's calling out to Oz and he says, I'm here. And he's running in the door. He just immediately sits down next to her and holds her hand. And he, he says, hey, baby, or something, which normally I don't like baby. But in moments like this where things are, like, extreme, extreme moments. I mean, your girlfriend just woke up from a trauma-induced coma you can say, hey, baby, in that instance. It's okay. And um, he grabs her hand, and she, she says, my head feels big. Is it big? So cute, Willow. My head feels big. Is it big? And sorry, I just started crying. Ooh. And then Oz says, no, it's head-sized. So that was such a sweet moment. Let's take a second for that sweet moment. Then we go back to Giles being tortured. Giles Whedon is doing this whole like touching moment, torture, touching moment, death, you know, like he just brings you back and forth. So you, your emotions are all over the place throughout this episode. Okay. So then we go back to the second scene of Giles being tortured. Um, this scene, Angel is sitting in a chair and he's cleaning Giles's glasses for him with a cloth that I assume he pulled out of Giles's pants or something because Angel is wearing a silk shirt and leather pants. So he has nothing on his person that he could actually wipe off Giles's glasses with. So he's doing the whole, like, I could make this stop. All you have to do is help me do the ritual. Tell me what I need to do. <laughs> and Giles is um, being defiant still because he's a rock. Um, then we go back to, um, they're now inside the house at Buffy's. Spike and Joyce are sitting in the living room together. Joyce is drinking. And I think this is the first time we see Joyce drinking, but she's like clearly got like a rocks glass with just some straight bourbon in it or some shit. She's drinking. And Spike is sitting in a chair next to the couch and they're just sort of looking around awkwardly. 
while Buffy is in the kitchen on the phone. And this is this is the moment that I was um, getting into a little too quickly before, where she finds out that Willow's awake. And she's just having the conversation on the phone about Willow being awake. And, um... Da-da-da... Oh, um, Joyce asks, there's, there, Joyce asks Spike while they're alone together in the living room. Do I know you from somewhere? Have we met before? She says something to that effect. I don't know the exact quote. And Spike answers, you hit me with an ax one time, you know, get the hell away from my daughter. And he holds his hands up like he has an ax. <laughs> oh, good times. And she just, like, she's trying so hard to make conversation. She's like, are you from around here? You know, like, it's just so weird, the awkwardness. But I'm glad they put that in there because it's just perfect. Um, then Buffy comes out and her and Spike are just sort of trying to hash out the details of this whole thing. And that's when we get the questions from Joyce because the whole time she's trying to hash out like what they're going to do, what their game plan is to get Giles back and for him to be able to get Drusilla out and all that shit, the details of their alliance. The whole time Joyce is just over there with her rocks glass, like reeling from the fact that her daughter just told her she was a vampire slayer. And like, what does this mean? And she's asking her questions and she's asking the kinds of questions that a person would ask after you came out to them such as, are you sure you're a vampire slayer? Have you tried not being a vampire slayer? Um, and it's very, again, like I always sort of saw it as being a cheap attempt to make a connection between this fictional world of vampire slayer to coming out to your parents. But like I said on Buff Buffering the Vampire Slayer, the podcast, they found this to be a very profound moment. And this is something that a lot of parents go through. They will ask these types of questions a lot of the time. Like, have you tried not being gay? Are you sure you're gay? Have you just never been with a woman and you just don't know? Have you tried? You know, um, so this was something that really hit home for them on that podcast. So um, I'm glad to know that it, it does hit home for people that have experienced coming out to their parents. Um, I'm glad that it wasn't a cheap attempt like I thought it was, um, that it really did have meaning. So that's a really interesting, I mean, I think it's, it's definitely a meaningful metaphor to make. I just wasn't sure if they did it well, but now that we've heard from real lesbians, we know that they did do it well. So that's good. Um, so at this point, you know, like, um, they've Buffy and Spike have hashed out the details. Spike leaves. And, you know, she says, if Giles dies, she dies. Talking about Drusilla. And she did say that right in front of her mom. And her mom didn't go, what? Why is Giles involved in all this? But to be fair, she's reeling. She's drinking. She's not hearing everything. Joyce never hears everything. It would be nice if we had had more moments with 
just in the background of seeing Joyce, like maybe she's drinking more to cope with the fact that weird shit's going on with her daughter all the time. Like at this point, her daughter has been a slayer for at least two years. So it would be nice to have some build up to this, but this is literally the first time we ever see her drinking. So Spike has just left and Buffy needs to leave too. You know, things are dire. She needs to go. And her mom wants an explanation. She wants to know what this fucking vampire slayer shit is. And she wants her daughter to take some time to talk to her about it. Which I totally understand. But Buffy doesn't have time for this shit. She does not have time. So let's see. And they're fighting. And Buffy's like, why don't you just have another drink? And then Joyce throws her fucking rocks glass across the kitchen and it shatters really dramatic Joyce shit um and this is where it happens where they're fighting Buffy saying look I would and then she has this whole very touching speech of like I would really like to be a normal girl believe me but I can't I would love to study I would love to go out with boys and like, you know, worry about that kind of shit, but I can't, I have to go. I have to go right now, mom. I'm really sorry. I can't talk about this right now. And Joyce tries to physically stop her. Like she grabs her and Buffy sort of pushes her against the like island in the kitchen and like, no, you can't stop me. And that's when Joyce, in a moment of emotion, she says, if you walk out of that door, don't even think about coming back. Which you see Buffy like looks at her like, oh my God, really? Well, I have to go. I have no choice. I mean, she, she doesn't say any of this, but she's just like in her eyes, in Sarah Michelle Geller's eyes. She's like, oh shit. Well, I do have to go. And it's such a powerful moment because she looks at her like just the emotions on her face and then she doesn't even shut the door she sort of was like getting ready to shut the door and then her mom tells her not to come back if she leaves and she looks at her like like a goodbye and then she pulls the door kind of but leaves it ajar she doesn't shut it all the way and then she walks out so powerful Buffy, Sarah Michelle Gellar is so good at just like expressions. She's got that acting shit. She knows what she's doing. She's an actress, an actress. Um, anyway, so she walks out and you see immediately, like they stay on Joyce, they go back to her face. She immediately regrets that she said that, you know, it was just something she was saying to try to get Buffy to stay. She was not she didn't really mean it and she was sort of like and she we've seen Joyce do this before where she just like gets emotional she does something Buffy storms off and she's like great parenting Joyce like she we've actually seen her say that to herself before but this time it's just all in her face so Buffy leaves See how long I've been talking. 47 minutes, not too bad. Okay. Da, da, da. We go back to Giles being tortured again. So this is the third scene where we see this. And um Angel is again 
it's like every time we see them, it's like a lull between the torture moments. We're supposed to fill in the blanks. Like Giles is getting like more and more um, upset, pained. And um, Angel's like, I can make this stop. I can make it stop. All you have to do is tell me how to do the ritual. And Giles is like, please. And he like gets Angel to come in close and he, like he's going to tell him. And he's like, in order for the ritual to work, you have to perform it in a tutu. <laughs> he's just being openly defiant at this point. He probably wants to die. And um, this is when Spike rolls in in his wheelchair, which he was not in his wheelchair at all when he was around Buffy. So he's still, just to remind us, he still has not revealed to Drusilla or Angel that he can walk again. So he rolls in in the wheelchair, and this is when he starts intervening. And he's like, um, convinces Angel not to kill Giles as part of the, the alliance, the deal that he made with Buffy. And he um, suggests that there's a better way to do this. You don't have to torture him. And that's when they bring in Drusilla, the big guns. Like she wasn't even in the room while this was happening, which is kind of odd because Drusilla would love that shit. She should be in the room, but she wasn't until now. Um, again, in my notes, I wrote, they wouldn't get anywhere without Drew. Um, and then I just made a note because I was watching the episode this time when I just watched it just now with my headphones on. So it's much easier to tell what's going on with the score when you've got your headphones on, of course. And when Drew walks into the room, there's like a choir boy score going on when she walks into the room as if she is the salvation for all things. <laughs> I just thought that was interesting. A little part of Drusilla's score includes choir boys. Oh, Drusilla, I'm going to miss you so much. Then we go back to Buffy is now at the library and she's getting weapons. Snyder walks into the room. At this point, it's got to be the dead middle of the night. You know, it's got to be like 3 a.m. or some shit. And Snyder's still just lurking around in a suit, in his principal suit, walking around in the school. He comes in and he expels Buffy. He's just, and he just savors the moment. And then you see him get on the phone and like, it's Snyder. Please tell the mayor I have great news. Like, what? Why would he have to tell the mayor that he just expelled Buffy? So I really think, obviously they're setting shit up because the mayor is the big bad in season three. Obviously they're setting that shit up. But, um, like, are we supposed to believe that Snyder knows that he's the slayer? Why does he think that it's a good thing that he expelled her from school? I don't know. I don't know. Anyway, whatever. Let's just move on from that. Um, he also tells Buffy during this interaction, um, because he's, you know, talking to her about the cops. And Buffy's like, well, you know, I didn't hurt Kendra they're going to figure it out. And Snyder says, if you haven't noticed by now, the cops in Sunnydale are deeply stupid. 
which I like that somebody acknowledged that because, you know, there's so many instances where the cops should be involved and they aren't. Again, don't look too far into plot details of Buffy because you will just be disappointed. Okay, so then Buffy leaves the library. She's got the sword. Um, Then we go back to um, Giles getting tortured. Drusilla is like wiping off his forehead. She's sort of comforting him and she puts her hands in his hair and she's like, okay, I want to see inside and she just takes a second to look inside his head and see what he wants and then she says see with your heart and at that point she like covers his eyes and then when she uncovers them she's Jenny he sees Jenny instead of Drusilla that's how powerful she is Giles is not easily duped but he immediately believes that Drusilla is Jenny and obviously part of this is because he's been tortured for a really long time possibly hours at this point I think um and he's very weak and he's seeing what he wants to see you know but Drusilla was able to dupe him And that's not easy to do. She's an extremely powerful vampire that they underutilized in this series. You know, despite the fact that obviously Joss Whedon is, he calls himself a feminist and he created this awesome show that is more feminist than it is not feminist. It's, it scales in the right direction. 95% of the time, but despite all of that, they still, you know, they created this intensely fascinating and powerful vampire in Drusilla, but they let her fall to the background. Like she didn't even become involved in this whole torture business until Spike suggested that they utilize her and her extreme powers. They never give her credit for the fact that they wouldn't get shit done without her. They wouldn't even know about Akathla without her. They wouldn't know about half the shit that's going on without her and her visions. And they don't give her any fucking credit. Jeez. Okay. So, um, see with your heart. Giles believes it immediately. And as Jenny, she's saying things to him like we could be together we could be together feel what we never got to feel which means not only was Drusilla able to just like touch Giles's head stick her little fingers in his hair for like two seconds and see the pain and the fact that he had just lost Jenny but he also saw that they'd never been able to consummate their relationship And she was able to use that information. She was able to essentially become Jenny. She was able to get enough information in that like two seconds. That's how powerful she is. Have you ever thought about that? (laughs) So anyway, 
she gets the information in a, like I said before, in a very genius way, not by like outright asking about it, but just feeling the moment and making it happen. She got the information that was needed. Um, and then she's just starts making out with Giles as Jenny. And, um, basically the revelation is that the key to awakening a Kothla, this thing that's going to suck the whole world into hell, whatever, whatever, the key is angel's blood. Why is the key angel's blood? Why? Why? That makes no goddamn sense that some random vampire would be the key to opening up this hell beast. I don't know. Like, maybe it's just that whoever wanted to take the sword out of Akathla had to make a sacrifice of their own blood, and if they lived through it, then they were worthy. Maybe... I don't know, but, but they make it sound like it's specifically angel's blood. Like what? Why? He's not that special. No, I don't buy that shit. Anyway, so it's angel's blood that is the key to awakening Kafa. Now angel knows because of Drusilla and, um, okay. At some point we had a scene, I didn't write this down where it happened, where Willow basically right after she woke up, she was just like, look, we need to redo this spell. It could help Buffy. It could, you know, buy time. I need to try it again. So she tells, um, Oz and Cordelia to like, go get supplies for her and bring them back. And, um, she sends Xander to go find Buffy and tell her what's going on tell her that she's trying to re-attempt the spell. So Xander um, catches up with Buffy at this point after we see, you know, that that last torture scene. And um, Xander says, the Calvary is here. The Calvary's a frightened guy with a rock. <laughs> and Xander's holding up like a big rock. And then Buffy just immediately without even questioning. She doesn't try to tell him to stay out of danger or any bullshit like that. She just like immediately gives him a stake or something and says, okay, here's the, here's the deal. You don't get in the middle of anything. You just get Giles out. Let's go. And then Xander stops her. Like, Willow wanted me to tell you something. And then you see him just in a flash decide not to tell her. And he just says, kick his ass. She's like, okay, let's go. So y'all know I'm not cool with the fact that Xander didn't tell Buffy. And, you know, when it comes down to it, the whole thing is that they don't lie to each other. They give each other all the facts and let and trust each other. It's about trust, really. It's, you know, Xander doesn't, he, I guess it's the patriarchy, isn't it? The fact that he thinks he gets to have the power to make the decision 
to not tell her that information. She had a right to know that information. Maybe he was doing it to try to protect her, to try to keep her from from getting hurt again, keep her from holding back, um, and possibly getting hurt physically. Um, maybe he was doing it from somewhat of an altruistic standpoint, but ultimately I don't think so. Ultimately, I think it was jealousy that motivated his actions, which I can understand as a 17 year old boy that that's what would happen in that situation but he doesn't have the right to make that decision. Buffy should have known that Willow was trying to reattempt the spell. She should have known. I don't think at this point it would have made her fight any less hard. I think it would have made her, she was a little distracted at the beginning of that fight. And I think that having that information, she would have been more focused at the beginning of the fight. Because it took her a little too long to dispense with the other lackeys in the room before she got to just her and Angel. It took her a little too long. And if she'd been armed with the knowledge of Willow reattempting the spell, I think she would have dispensed with those lackeys a little quicker. I don't know. We'll never know. Again, this is a moment for Buffy that she will never recover from and that will be referred to throughout the series. Like, it's a big source of pain for Buffy that she has to kill her first love. And she was completely prepared to do it at this point because he had been evil for months. But it makes it so much harder when she sees him go back to normal. And that's a thought experiment that Xander didn't think about. Like, I know he wouldn't have chosen not to tell her if he had thought, oh, what if it works right before she has to fucking kill him anyway? Like, nobody thought that. Nobody thought that. And nobody even knows that that's what happened until literally, like, four and a half, five months from now. No one will know because Buffy disappears and she doesn't tell anybody what the fuck's going on. She won't talk about it even after she comes back. So like none of the rest of them know what she's gone through for months. So they couldn't have known. I mean, they couldn't have known. Okay. Calvary's a frightened guy with a rock, blah, blah, blah. Okay. Then they go back to willow doing the spell so they're in the hospital it's just willow oz and cordelia cordelia's on sage duty again i drew like a little diagram of the spell of the, the like setup that they had they had like a little pull-up desk thing um which is what you would normally like eat your jello on or whatever at the hospital it was just like a little desk that goes over the hospital bed that rolls up and they had four candles um, they had the orb of Thessala in the middle with four candles around it, obviously representing north, east, south, and west. Um, then they also had around the like um, the ring where the candles were, there were like bones and runes and stuff um, in a circle. And then there was like on the outer circle around the candles, there was like dirt 
like a ring of dirt. That's what it looked like. Um, I don't know. I just, I drew a little diagram of the spell because I just thought it was cute. Um, so they're doing the spell. Cut over to, so at this point, they cut back and forth between Willow doing the spell and Buffy as she is arriving, Buffy and Xander as she's, they're arriving at the mansion to try to stop the spell. So Angel is starting to do his spell with Akathla. Um, Buffy shows up with Xander, um, starts killing off Angel's lackeys. Spike stands up and starts beating Angel with a crowbar. Um, Drusilla tries to intervene. So Angel's sort of knocked out for a little bit while Buffy's killing the lackeys. Angel or Xander's trying to find Giles and, um, Spike and Drusilla are just fighting. Um, yeah, let's see. Xander gets to Giles and he's like untying him and telling him we have to go. Giles is very out of it. And he's like, no, no, um, you're not real. They, they, they make me see things that I want to see. And Xander just sort of looks at Giles. Then why would they make you see me? And that's when Giles sort of snaps out of it. Like, oh yeah, right, right, right. Let's go. So they get out. Um, and it's just Buffy fighting off the lackeys. Once she fights off all the lackeys, it's just her and Angel. I think when she first gets there, she says, hello, lover. I don't think it happens now, but I just had to mention that she did say hello, lover. <laughs> she did. That happened. Um, Spike eventually um, wins his fight with Drew by like a, putting her in like a sleeper hold, I guess. And she sort of like passes out and he takes her. Um, and as he's getting ready, getting ready to leave, at this point, we've seen a lot of sword fighting between Buffy and Angel. And Angel is like sort of backing her up against the wall and he is getting he's gotten her sword away from her and so angel i guess it's um important to say that he is fighting with the sword that he just pulled out of a kafla so he'd done enough of the spell and he has his own blood on his hands whenever he pulls the sword out of a kafla so it works this time and he gets the sword out. So he's fighting with that sword. And Buffy's fighting with the sword from like a knight that had fought a Kothla before or some shit. And they're having a really great sword fight. With a really terrible score. Like they could have picked a much... I mean, there's a lot of good score in Buffy in like the quieter moments. But in the like fight scenes, the score is always just too much. They didn't have to have that much score going on while they were sword fighting. But anyway, so as... Spike has like put Drusilla in the sleeper hold. He's about to carry her out of there. He sees that like Angel is descending upon Buffy and he's like, oh, he's going to kill her. And he's like, oh, okay. <laughs> Just like does a little shake of the head and then he leaves with Drusilla. It's like daylight at this point because whenever Spike leaves with Drusilla, he's leaving in a car with like blacked out windows and stuff. And you can see the daylight is coming in as Angel and Buffy are fighting. 
um, in, they're fighting in like the little garden area or whatever. Um, okay. And so as he's like backing her up against the wall and he's gotten her sword away from her and he's just, he says, this is kind of an important scene. That's everything. No weapons, no friends, no hope. Take all that away and what's left. And at this point he like shoves the sword into her face. Like it's going to be the killing blow. And she has closed her eyes like as if she's giving up. And she, um, it's just such a great shot. She puts her hands up. Her eyes are closed and he's jabbing the sword into her face. She puts her hands up and catches the sword and pushes it back and hits him in the head with like the hilt of the sword. Is that the right word? The handle part? I don't know. And knocks him back and then she gets up, gets her sword back and they're fighting again. Um, anyway, but she says me, I forgot to say that part. He's like, take all that away. And what's left? She says me as she's catching the sword and then hits him and gets up and, um, let's see. And then they're fighting, fighting, fighting. And that's when, and we keep cutting over to Willow. And this is where we see Willow get like fucking possessed. And then the orb of Thessala glows and she's speaking the Latin and things are getting creepy. And she says, a coom, a coom. And that's when the Thor, the, the orb of Thessala glows. And then we see that same pink glow in Angel's eyes. And at this point, you know, they're fighting, they're fighting. His back is to Akathla. And that's when he gets reinsold and he just like falls to the ground. It's really great acting, just this whole thing. Like he immediately goes from like threatening, awful, evil angel to that glow in his eyes. And then he's down on the ground and he's crying, like tears streaming down his face. And he looks up at Buffy and goes, Buffy, what's going on? Where are we? I don't, I don't remember. And he's just crying and he's just like, immediately he's angel, you know, immediately just from the switch in his behavior and the fact that he's just crying and he's like, puffy, he just immediately becomes pathetic angel quickly. And she is just standing there with the sword. Cause she was about to kill him. She was about to put it into it. And then she's just standing there with the sword raised, like not knowing what to think for a second, just very shocked. And then she realizes it and they hug and it's just so emotional. Like I don't really have feelings for Angel, as I've said before, I don't really care about him and like, you know, but every emotion that Buffy feels, I can feel. So she's just that good of an actress Sarah Michelle Geller. so you know she hugs him and she realizes that he's back she doesn't know why but he's back and at this point you know his back is to Akathla and she's hugging him and she sees that is when because the sword has been pulled out the spell has been done with Akathla. The whole time they're doing this sword fight, the spell of Akathla is already done, but he hasn't woken up yet. And then he does. 
the vortex to hell or whatever starts opening up and she sees it and again just her acting like she goes from like not confusion and disbelief to relief that he's really back and she lets herself sink into it for a second and she's hugging him and kissing him and then she sees the vortex open and she knows that the only thing that's going to close it again is his blood his blood opened it his blood has to close it she has to kill him to close this vortex or else everybody's going to be sucked into hell just to kill him she has to and you see all of that go through her face like she's like relief relief oh yay my boyfriend's back oh my god to shit oh shit oh shit and then she just kind of like he can tell that something's wrong and he's like what, what's going on you know he's still very confused um which tracks because in the past when they showed him getting his soul back for the very first time he was very like confused at first and then the memories came back to him after like you know hours or days or whatever so it tracks that he would be very confused right now and not remember fucking anything like he actually said to Buffy something like I feel like I haven't seen you in months what's going on and he just completely 100% trusts Buffy because she just says to him you know like don't worry about it because he starts to turn around because the cough was right behind him he starts to turn around she's like don't worry about it just look at me just kiss me close your eyes and she says I love you and he says I love you and she says close your eyes and she and he does just does it he's like crying and he's disoriented and he doesn't know what the fuck's going on but he still just does whatever she says he closes his eyes she kisses him and then she stabs him with the sword and he gets sucked into the vortex and he's just reaching out to her so pathetic and he's like Buffy <laughs> reaching out to her and he gets sucked in and um, then she's just standing there like fucking shit and that's when it happens Sarah McLaughlin full of grace starts that song I don't think that there's copyright issues if I play less than 30 seconds so hopefully I won't get in trouble for that but that song is like seriously almost the entire song plays at this point and it starts right after she right after he's been sucked into the vortex and she's just standing there staring like what the fuck did I just do that's when it happens that's when the song starts and at that point everything else in the episode is basically I mean there's a little bit of dialogue but it's mostly just listening to this song so you see and it, seriously it's one of the top five most effective songs in film or television ever in my opinion like as soon as Sarah McLachlan starts singing 
you're crying. Seriously. Seriously. Attitude problem? Serious. So, okay, so she's just stabbed him through the heart. Um, we get a scene where she has her mom goes upstairs in the morning after she's woken up and she's looking for Buffy thinking that she'd come back home and she didn't and there's a note and we don't get to see what the note says but Joyce is very upset when she reads the note and she's in her awesome robe that black robe with the white roses you know the one um possibly the last time we'll see that robe oh man goodbye Drusilla goodbye Joyce's robe seriously don't think we get to see that robe again anyway um, so she reads the note and, um, we also get, everyone is at school the next morning, which at this point it's probably like what, two, three hours later, I would assume maybe not even that. Cause it was already almost daylight when Buffy had to kill Angel. And then I guess she just went home and packed a bag and we see, um, Willow getting wheeled up in a wheel, a wheel, a wheelchair. And, um, so, and, and Giles, like everybody comes to school the next day, which is kind of unbelievable, but they had to have the scene where all of them were together. So all of them are outside the school, Oz, Willow, Giles, and Cordelia. They're all outside the school and Xander. Um, like, where's Buffy? Is she not coming to school today? Like, what's going on? What happened? And Willow's like, I really think the spell worked. So they're just theorizing, well, maybe they wanted to be alone together because the spell worked. Or, you know, like, maybe it didn't work in time and she had to kill him and she wants to be alone. And, you know, like, well, obviously the world didn't end. So that's good. <laughs> She's got to come, right? And it's a very awkward moment they really don't know they're so lost without Buffy they really don't know what to do without her and you can tell that they're just completely lost without her and then it sort of pans back and you see that Buffy has been watching them because they were standing outside the school having this conversation and Buffy is standing by a tree and she's been watching them and you see her um she's just making sure they're okay, I think. And now that she has confirmed that she doesn't say anything to anyone. She doesn't let anyone see her. She walks away. She's wearing her depression dungarees. You know, she's wearing a real ratted beat up pair of overalls, oversized overalls that she's just put over that same black V-neck top that she's been wearing this whole time. She took off her fighting brown pants and put on her depression dungarees she's got an overnight bag like a big duffel um I don't she might have still been I don't think she, no she wasn't wearing her beanie anymore but she just walks away I mean the cops are after her her mom kicked her out she's been expelled from school like she doesn't know how to talk to anybody about what has happened she just wants to get out and then you see her on a bus. Sarah McLaughlin's playing this entire time. Don't forget about that. And you see her ride away on the bus. And it the very last shot is like the now leaving Sunnydale sign. And that's it. And that's all you get for the next four months. 
pretty sad, right? Um, and the very last words that are said are the last line of the song, um, which is, it's better this way. And it's a very sad song. Like, oh, go listen to it. Seriously. Like, I can't play you the whole thing because of copyright shit. But, but it's on Spotify. I'm sure you can find it on YouTube. Just look it up. Sarah McLaughlin. The song is called Full of Grace. Such a powerful, powerful song. Um, and Sarah can do that to you, man. She can do that to you. She can make you cry any time she wants. That's Sarah McLaughlin. She's an evil bitch, but I love her. I love her. Anyway, um, then that little, um, at the end of the credits, that little title card, the little guy that usually says, grr, arg. In this episode, he says, I need a hug. <laughs> so that's it. That's the devastating, one of the top five most devastating Buffy episodes of all time, I would say, for sure. Just the pain of all of this shit hitting her at once. I mean, can you imagine at the age of 17, like you finally decide to have sex with a dude and he turns evil and he torments you for months and then you have to kill him but he suddenly becomes this sweet guy again right before you have to kill him and you get expelled from school and your mom kicks you out of the house. I mean, she took her seriously. I think Buffy knew that her mom wasn't serious, but she decided to take her seriously because she just felt like no one would understand. Um, and this is... I mean, it's not like we haven't seen Buffy isolate herself before when she's in pain, but this is the first time that we get it in this, this extreme of a reaction, but this is a pattern with her and we will see this with her many more times. Whenever she is in extreme pain, she isolates herself. She doesn't try to share it with others because her pain is usually pretty fucking gigantic compared to other people's pain. So she doesn't and she feels it. She feels it very extremely. So she doesn't want to burden people with it. Um, but yeah. Um, so that's it. Here we are. Um, not another episode until September 29th, if I remember correctly. But let me look it up and make sure I'm right about that date. Real quick. Yep, September 29th. So that's four months from now. Over four months from now. So what are we going to do in that time? I'm not going to abandon you completely. Let's just get that out of the way before I give you the ratings for this episode. I'm not going to abandon you completely. I probably will not have an episode every week, um, but I will check in with you guys every two or three weeks. So between now and September, there will be at least, you know, six to eight episodes. Um, I might talk about movies. I might talk about, have guests and just talk about Buffy in general. 
Um, I might just check in with you guys just to let you know I'm still here, let you know what's going on with me. Um, but I am not going to abandon you completely for four months. Um, even though I am very committed to doing this project 20 years after every episode, I'm going to have a podcast episode about that episode of Buffy. I'm going to stick to that, even though it's going to take me seven years to do this project. And there's going to be a lot of times where like this due to the nature of the project, but I gotta like think about the future and the fact that people are going to discover this podcast in the future when I've already done four seasons and it won't feel like four months to them because they'll be able to listen to those episodes right after. Um, so if you are that magical unicorn creature from the future, you can skip ahead if you want to the next episode, which is titled Anne. So if you want to skip over whatever I do in the next four months, <laughs> that's tangential to my main project of reviewing every episode of Buffy exactly 20 years after their original air date. Um, you can skip ahead to Anne if you would like, and it'll be like nothing happened. But um, for the rest of us that are in real time, it's going to be for long months. And that's going to be really hard for me because the rules that I have set for myself in this project, like I rewatch Buffy all the time. I'm allowed to watch every season except the one that we're currently in. So like I am allowed to watch season one season. And now that we're done with season two, I'm allowed to watch season two whenever I want and four and five and six and seven but I will not allow myself to watch season three until we're actually watching season three. So season three is effectively dead to me until we finish it, which is going to be, you know, a year from now. So that's hard to do. Um, it is being that it's my favorite show of all time. Um, maybe I'll lighten those rules a little bit during the summers when there's nothing airing of Buffy maybe I'm allowed to watch everything I don't know I don't know I don't know how I will deal with those rules but anyway you guys don't care about that um thanks for listening I didn't know I would be able to talk this long but I'm still I'm still kicking it's been almost an hour and a half so let's get into my ratings of this episode so I always like to um find one object in the episode that I'd like to pluck straight out of 20 years ago and bring into my own life forever and ever. So this episode I decided to choose, I think it was the second time we get a scene between Angel and Giles when Giles was being tortured. The one where Angel was sitting at a chair next to um, a table cleaning off Giles's classes for him. There was a lamp on the table, which just side note, if you guys have recently watched the episode and you notice this particular table, I have one, two, three, four versions of that particular style of table, end table in my own house. It's like this mid-century modern type table where like the top is really small and the bottom is much Bigger. I don't know how to describe it other than that, but that particular table that he's got right there, I have four versions of that table in my own house. 
Uh, anyway, the lamp that was on that table, my mom really, really liked it. It was just um, a really cool, like, saucery, like, probably metal, um, like, 60s type lamp. Um, so it, it was a very cool lamp. I would like to pluck it out of the episode just so I could give it to my mom. So that's the object of the episode, is that lamp. The quote, like I said before, is when Snyder says, Attitude problem? Serious. <laughs> so good. Um, kind of an unconventional choice for most valuable player of the episode. I decided that it was Sarah McLaughlin. <laughs> Sarah motherfucking McLaughlin is the most valuable player of this episode because if you weren't crying before that song started, you were crying after it started. You just were. Okay? I can't tell you how many times I've watched this episode in my life. And like, this was probably the first time that I felt emotionally capable enough to make it. Like, I still teared up. But every other time I've watched this episode, I've just been like bawling my eyes out by the time Sarah McLaughlin starts singing. <laughs> so, she gets the most valuable player of the episode. Because she really brought it home. Like, Buffy is pretty... Like, Buffy really should have gotten most valuable player because of that moment with the sword where she says, me, you know, like everything else is taken away, but she still has herself. But, I mean, that's a good moment. But that's not the Sarah I'm going for here. Not Sarah Michelle Geller, but Sarah McLaughlin. Okay? Sarah motherfucking McLaughlin is the most valuable player in this episode. That's it. You know, that's just how it is. Outfit of the episode, like pretty much everybody was wearing the same outfits that they were wearing in the last episode. Basically everybody was. Um, so I'm going to give it to, did I give it to Buffy in the last episode? No, I gave it to Cordelia in the last episode. So I'm going to give it to Buffy with her brown fighting pants, her brown stretchy pants. Um, her black v-neck shirt just a very simple fighting outfit and she was wearing the cross again like she was ready to kill angel while wearing his cross necklace that she gave him so she you know had to have felt a certain amount of closure to finally wear that cross necklace again so i'm giving the outfit of the episode to her at least as far as my five by five ratings as y'all may or may not know, I like to give a rating for the overall enjoyability of, of the episode, uh, a score of zero to five, and then the level of effectiveness of the metaphor that they were trying to create, because almost every episode of Buffy is like a horror movie metaphor of real life. So how effective I think they were at the metaphor is also a score between one and zero and five. And then I multiply those two scores together. So my enjoyability rating for this episode, I mean, it's hard to say it was enjoyable because it's punishing as fuck. But as far as, I mean, some plot holes brought that down a little bit. Some of the scoring brought it down a little bit. The fight choreography like, I love that they were doing a sword fight, but I just don't think it was that fun to watch. 
Like, I don't really like the fight choreography in Buffy overall. Unfortunately, because I can really enjoy some good fight choreography. I think Buffy's fighting style should be more like, um, like, for example, Black Widow in the Avengers movies, or, um, Mila Jovovich's character in Resident Evil. Like, I guess that's just me, though. I have a very specific, like, I like a fighting style that is very economical and very beautiful. You know, I like, I like swift, beautiful movements, like, like Trinity in the Matrix doing that whole, like, you know, crane thing and kicking that guy in the face, you know, when you first meet Trinity. Like, I like those kind of things, just like iconic, beautiful, quick. And that's not what Buffy fighting style is like at all, like hardly ever. So despite the fact that it's one of my favorite shows of all time and it features a woman kicking ass, which I always love, the fighting choreography is always a problem for me. And so that brought my enjoyability score for this episode down to a four. So not bad. Four out of five. The, I feel like conveying the message I mean, the metaphors in this episode are all about like, you know, obviously becoming something moments in your life that change you forever, which as I've talked a lot about, like Willow makes this choice to do this big spell and she never comes back from that. You know, everybody makes a choice in this episode that they can't come back from that are moments in their lives. This is a very big moment in all of their lives, really, except Oz. Oz is just kind of there. Even Cordelia, like she ran, but she like, for the first time in her life, she felt bad for only thinking of herself. And that's a big moment for her. This is a turning point for Cordelia. Like Cordelia's in now. She is in. Um, so I think all of the metaphors in this episode really did come through. And I think overall that gets a five. So it gets a perfect score for that. Um, because when this show really wants to convey, I mean, really pain, emotional pain is what the show does best. Honestly, it is. And, um, I think it really, you know, it hits home on that. So four by five, this episode gets an overall score of 20. So thank you for listening, everyone. Thanks for being patient with me throughout season two. It's been, it's been a roller coaster, man. Um, next season, I am so excited to get into it because season three is my very favorite season. So it's going to feel like the longest four months ever to get to that. Um, but like I said, I will come back every couple of weeks and I'll at least let you know I'm still alive. So um, keep coming back to my podcast, please. Um, let me know. Mixtress Ray at protonmail.com in my ex. T-R-E-S-S-R-A-E or you can message me on Instagram um, under Mixtress Radio M-I-X-T-R-E-S-S-R-A-D-I-O 
Um, let me know if you would like me to review any, any certain movies or what you want me to talk about, themes and Buffy, um, guests you'd like me to have <laughs> from my own life. Um, or if you would like to be a guest on the podcast, we can work it out. Um, let me know what you would like to talk about in the next four months because I'm open to it. So um, let's get into it. If you want to just talk about your favorite episode, we could do that too. Um, just let me know what you want to do. Um, either way, I will be back every couple weeks to um, talk to you guys about something, something or other in the next four months. Um, but until then, bye!